Have you ever looked at your pastors and leaders and thought, what do you do all week? Like, <laughs> just, y'all just work like two hours every Sunday and then go home. Uh, well, we're going to answer the question on that. We're also going to answer the question of, uh, do you have to get married to have a husband or a wife? Uh, I guess we'll find out. You also may be wondering, who is this guy sitting next to me? We're going to answer all these questions and more today on the Digging Deeper podcast. Hey, and welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast. Our goal in this podcast is to dig a little bit deeper into that week's sermon, so that way we might dig a little bit deeper into our hearts. Today is a very special day because, well, let me first introduce myself before we introduce you all. If you all don't know, my name is Chris Brown. I'm the associate pastor here. We're going to skip you for a second. Let's go to you first. Um, you you, you got to show them the video. Today. How do you do it? Number two. There you go. Hey, I'm Michael. What, what do you do, Michael? <laughs> I'm the student pastor here and the guy that reluctantly does the sound on the podcast. Yeah. Pe- people want to know who you are. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was actually really excited to see Judah today. I know. Um, J- Judah's out of town, so J- Judah's not here, unfortunately. Um, but we've got special guest today. I'm Andrew Malone, Associate Pastor of Discipleship at Northview Baptist Church in Louisville, Texas. Yeah, so we've got an external guest. I'm glad you didn't say expert guest, because external guest is probably more accurate. We've got an expert guest on his opinion. (laughs) And uh, so, Andrew, me and Andrew have known each other since I was in eighth grade. You were in... I think so. I was sixth grade going into seventh grade, yeah. Yep. Uh, We've known each other all through junior high and high school, grew up in the same church, uh, went to the same college, Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, now we're both in ministry. Like you said, he does. Uh, yeah. At what, his what wedding, I, I said that my goal in life was to be Chris Brown. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Andrew was uh, the best man at my wedding. And so he got to uh, share. Michael was there too. You were at the wedding. Yeah, you I, walk... left, I left her mom up there. <laughs> you walked my, om- my mom down the aisle <laughs> and then just abandoned her. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyways, uh, so Jacob is, uh, out of town also, uh, on a conference. And so I did actually think about Jacob this morning because yeah. I was going to trim my beard and then I thought Jacob's beard is so you can never, elegant yeah, that I've got to leave mine long. Yeah. You can never, uh, be as good as Jacob and his, his beard. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, but none of us can. Uh, so anyways, so brought, um, Andrew on because he also, uh, works in ministry uh, associate pastor of discipleship and education. So we said, yeah, everything. Thing? Yeah, uh, I still. So I started at Northview uh, as a music associate actually um, nine years ago, and uh, that turned into our student pastor left to plant a church, and so then I was uh, I moved into student ministry, and then our uh, accountant left, and so I added, you know, bookkeeping to my job duties. And then as of January, I am over all of our discipleship, but then I also have the privilege of also doing our student ministry still. Mm -hmm. So So you just, you basically do whatever they tell you to do. That's exactly (laughs) that. Line 13 of my job description is all other duties assigned by the senior pastor. Yeah. You got to have that in there uh, just for uh, liability reasons. Sure. Yeah. Um, So, uh, so we asked Andrew, come on. Which is actually really fitting for today, uh, because um, I preached this past Sunday, and it was all about um, what are the responsibilities 
of pastors and leaders in the church and how can the church uh, honor, appreciate, and partner with pastors and those abilities. It's actually good to have you on, not only because you work in ministry, yeah. but your dad. I was going to reveal that fact. Yeah. yeah. So, I've seen ministry. To me, the pastor is an interesting position. I grew up with a lot of guys. My dad was a pastor. Um, and so, he was a, when I was born, he was a pastor at First Baptist Church, Melissa. Uh, and then when I was in second grade, we moved to Bonham, and he was the pastor at First Baptist Church Bonham for 13 years there. So nine years in Melissa, 13 years in Bonham. Um, and I grew up with a lot of kids whose dads were pastors. Um, and the whole pastor's kid stereotype to me actually does hold up for a lot of people. But the the blessing for me is that I saw the pastor it lived out in a way where my dad loved the church and he loved shepherding the flock. Um, but he also loved his family, uh, and he took a lot of time to spend with us. And so I've been able to see uh, see a good example of what it is to be a pastor, but then also to experience it as uh, as a dad now um, and a husband to um, live as a pastor and then also as a as a dad. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so your dad was a pastor for a long time. He's now the um, he's the executive director of the Denton Baptist Association. Yeah. Big wig. Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah, he's uh, a pastor's pastor. Yeah, and so he literally meets with pastors all the time. That's yeah. just his job. Yeah, uh, it's it's actually incredibly awkward when I meet with him. Because uh, you're meeting with him as the executive director? <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I had a meeting with him last week, um, and he... Do you call him Morgan? Uh, well, I still talk to him as dad, right? But he does this, he slips into this coaching mode where um, instead of just giving you advice. He starts asking you questions and trying to probe you as per his job. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, okay, I need you to stop and I need you to tell me what to do because (laughs) I need you to be my dad right right now, not the (laughs) executive director. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yep. So your dad does that. Um, Your sister and brother-in-law also in ministry. Yeah. My Um, brother-in-law is a youth uh, pastor. I guess that's his title. I'm not sure what it is. At First Baptist Church of Louisville. My sister, actually, this is going to ruffle some SBC feathers. Mm -hmm. Um, My sister started a job this year as um, the campus pastor for a Christian school. That's her title. And so oh, I didn't know they she have, was doing that. Yeah, they've, yeah, they've decided that's what her title is going to be. So she does, uh, she leads chapel and then teaches Bible study classes uh, at Liberty Christian in Argyle. So cool. where Jason Witten is the football coach. Yeah, how's that going? Uh, I don't I don't. Jason know Witten's a football coach, coach now? Yeah. yeah. For a small private school, it's not a small. Private oh, school. oh, it's not small. <laughs> uh, is it big? Uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty big. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That it's uh, look how, them up. Look up. Did, look up Liberty Christian. How cool school. would that be to say, "Hey, my my coach is Jason Witten. He's coming to my birthday." So is he really? <laughs> <laughs> is he? No, I asked okay. my sister oh, okay. to, to make me uh, to put me in contact with him. That hasn't happened yet, but I'm waiting maybe until you know fall festival or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I sent him a message. I'm yeah. just waiting for him to get back. Yeah. He's he's busy. Hey, coach. Yeah. 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 Anyways, so Andrew has very extensive, um, not only experience in ministry, but um, being around people in ministry. And so, it's fitting for yeah. uh, today's topic. Yeah. And so, so anyway, so, so so let's get into the sermon because that's the whole point as to why we're here. Um, so, uh, again, I preached. Uh, the sermon was called, called <laughs> and uh, the whole premise of the sermon is uh, God has called pastors and leaders to lead his church. And what does that look like? Like not what do we think it looks like, yeah. but but biblically speaking, what has God specifically called pastors and leaders to do in the church? And then also this month is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so the question is, um, 
because it's Pastor Appreciation Month, how can we now honor and appreciate um, our pastors and leaders and partner with them in these biblical roles that they're called to do? So that's the whole premise of the sermon. Uh, The three points from it are um, pastors and leaders are called to shepherd the flock. They're called to uh, watch over the flock and they're called to equip the flock. Yeah. So I started out, um, uh, you probably heard him listening to it, uh, talking about bad bosses. Have you mm-hmm. ever had a bad boss? I've had several. Um, well, that's that's rude. I've had a bunch of different jobs. I really liked your uh, movie theater job. What movie theater were you at? In Longview or in Bonham? No, it was, it was Majestic, Majestic Six. Majestic Six in, Theater in Bonham, in Bonham yeah. was the hop in place to be. Yeah. Uh, that was the job to have if you were a Bonham High School student, and yeah. I never had that opportunity. Yeah. Um, but I, I've had I've had some bad bosses. I've had some bad pastor bosses. Um, well, I've had a bad pastor bosses. Uh, pastor boss. Um, I, I worked at a at a church when I was in college. Um, I actually also thought about the church that you worked at with a pastor. He went by the Falcon. <laughs> I thought no, no, should... it wasn't the Falcon. It was the Eagle. Oh, the Eagle. I yeah, thought you about call me the Eagle. I thought about yeah. sharing that. So I was working at a church um, uh, as the sound guy. Uh, and um, the guy that led the music uh, referred to himself as the Eagle. Yeah. Like yeah. he apparently he used to do like a uh, radio DJ, and he, that was his, his DJ name. K L A K one zero five three. The Eagle, uh, and so uh, he referred to himself as the Eagle. Yeah, that guy was not a great, <laughs> not a great boss. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, back to yeah. mine. Uh, when I was in college, I worked at a church, and I was I was literally the song leader. Like you hear you hear the old term, you know, song leader or whatever for for a small East Texas church, whatever. I was literally the song. I would show up. I would say, everybody turn to, you know, hymn 231, and we're going to sing whatever that is. Um, And so uh, when I got there, they didn't have uh, a pastor. They had, um, I guess, a long-term interim. I don't really... That period of time is kind of unclear, but I do remember very distinctly um, them hiring a pastor um, and... As basically, as soon as he came on, the search committee quit and left the church. So that, number one, should have been the first sign, okay, this isn't a good deal, because the search committee that hired this guy left, and they went to another it was, church. They're the ones that hired yes, him. Yes, yes. And so uh, this guy comes in, and his dad had been a pastor. Um, I guess if he sees this, I'm, it's going to be really incriminating. Um, but his dad had been a pastor, um, and so... To me, this may not have been true, but it seemed like to me he would he had a file cabinet of his dad's sermons, and he would oh. just pick them out and pin them in his Bible and then just sit up there and read. Oh. And so this guy had been a, a pastor at several different churches. Well, he came to our church, um, and I was a young guy, and you know he was new. And so he said, hey, I'd, I'd like to take you to a lunch and... Uh, um, you know, we can talk about how to improve the church and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, really excited. That sounds great. Let's do that. And so, you know, the Sunday came that we were going to go to lunch and, you know, we locked up the church. And as soon as we shut the door to his car, he starts immediately vaping. Hey, do you mind if I do this? It's just vapor. It's not a big deal. So I was like, okay, that's that weird. That was like early on. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the yeah. vaping scene. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was, it was 2012 or something. Yeah. Like vapes were brand new. Yeah. So immediately starts vaping and I was like, okay, that's that's weird, but okay, it's <laughs> How old not, was this guy? Uh, maybe in his 40s, yeah. I don't know. Uh, he seemed ancient at the time, but I was also like 22, yeah. so. Um so he starts doing that and then as we pull out of the parking lot, he just immediately starts slamming church members and cussing up a storm. This guy, this guy, this 
blanking guy, blah, 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 blah. And so we had this whole meeting. And for an hour and a half, I just sat there in uncomfortable silence as this guy just berated people. <laughs> Which, by the way, just just to clarify again, you were on staff. I was on staff. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it wasn't like he was talking to like a friend outside the no. church. Like you were like I, we with were him. not friends. He yeah. was. I had known him two weeks, which is another <laughs> bold thing that you're just gonna immediately confide in this 22 year old kid <laughs> yeah. about nothing. And so, yeah, yeah he just starts blasting all of these church members and this and this and this, and we can't do this because of this and this and this, and we got to get these people out and blah, blah, blah. And so we got back to the church, and I just, thanks for the lunch, and got in my car and drove home in silence. No clue what to do. Um, and so the very next Sunday, I said, hey, man, this is going to be my last Sunday. And he was like, oh, man, was it something I said? I was like, absolutely it was. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly why I'm quitting. Bad boss. Yeah. Bad boss. Uh. And then you said, I think you said that church ended up just oh, yeah, shutting they, down. Oh, yeah, they shut down. And then yeah. I saw him, actually, ironically, I saw him like six months later. And I was eating lunch, and he came up, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and so he came up, and he was like, hey, would you believe that they're blaming this whole church shutdown <laughs> thing on me? <laughs> I said, absolutely, I would believe that, yes. Uh, I, I, you know, I can't, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. I can't believe it. At that time, I was working at another church, and I was working with Tom Webster. And, oh, Tom. Yeah, so it was, it was a good deal. Tom was a great boss. Uh, Tom was a, a great boss because he was our—he was the dean of our music school. Yeah. And at school, we were required to call him Dr. Webster. Mm-hmm. And at work, at church, we were required to call him yeah. Tom. And so mm-hmm. it was the most yeah, he was, convoluted. He's probably one of the quirkiest guys I've ever met. Yeah. But you could tell, man, he really did care. Uh, he, loved, he loved choir. He loved the music ministry. He loved ministering to people with music. Mm-hmm. And so he was a great a great boss and a great lead in that room. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, you ever had bad bosses? Well, after working here with Pastor Lee, <laughs> everybody seems like a bad boss. Now, yeah, in comparison. I worked for the greatest, the greatest boss ever. You know, it's like when Jesus so. said, like, you love me so much that, like, you hate everyone else, like, yes, in comparison. Exactly. Uh, so, so, like, he's such a good boss that everyone else is just bad in comparison. Yes. Yeah. I've never even worked for Lee, and I think he's a good boss. Yeah, there yeah. you go. He's a great boss. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, for real, though, I, I mean... None stick out like you were a boss for a while. Were you a bad boss? So a lot of people had a bad boss for years (laughs) because of you. (laughs) No, I I like to think I cared about people and Mm -hmm. I was a good boss, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's another podcast and bring on past experience of Michael as a boss. Yeah, we we go track down all of your formal bad boss former employees or Uh, king of Sonic. Could be the could be the title. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No. It's uh it's one of those things where uh we, we don't even mention you. Like you're like behind a like black sheet over here. <laughs> Gotta do the voice over thing. Yeah, no, they don't even know he's here. Oh, okay. And then like we just get them to say a bunch of bad stuff and then we say He's here. Under yeah. covers boss. Like you under- put him <laughs> under covers. <laughs> Alright, this is going downhill quick. Alright. Anyways, bad bosses, good bosses, um, they really do affect things as you just shared, yeah. like a bad boss can sink a church. Yeah, I saw. I, I listened to a guy speak this uh, last week. I went to youth ministry conference, and uh, this guy named Doug Fields, who's a big youth ministry guy, mm-hmm. was talking about purpose-driven youth ministry. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He was at Saddleback when uh, that, all that was going down, um, and uh, so Doug Fields said he basically he retired like in 2019 or something, um, and during that time he was trying to identify 
what it was to be a good leader and stuff like that. And the research that he uncovered is that if you're working under a bad boss, it actually atrophies you as an employee. It causes mm-hmm. you to lose your creativity. It causes you to lose your drive and passion for your work. Um, and so being a good leader is a huge deal in, in, in equipping others. That was the thing that I really appreciated about your good boss um, is that uh, your your best buy boss worked his best to make you succeed. It, it really didn't matter, you know, what was going on with his life or whatever. He wanted you to succeed. And as a result, it made you want to work there. Um, and so that that was what Doug was saying is a, a good boss raises up, a, a high tide raises all ships. Uh, and, and so he's trying to draw others up with him without trying to get the credit for himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so th- that's kind of the whole foundation, you know, this whole sermon is that, that in the same way that in the, the secular world, the business world, bad bosses or good bosses can can sink or float uh, the the ships. Um, same is true in the churches, uh, which begs the question: What is the point of pastors yeah. and leaders? Yeah. Um, because you can have you know great guys step into the pastor role, but if they're doing the job wrong. Mm-hmm they can still effectively be a bad pastor or a bad yeah. leader, not because they're bad people, but because yeah. they don't fully understand yeah. what their actual responsibility is. Um, and so, you know, we, we dig into scripture. Okay, yeah. what, what does the Bible say yeah. the role of pastors and leaders Which I, are? I, before you got into that, I actually thought, when I heard your intro, I thought you were going a different direction with this sermon. Um, and then it, uh, I liked where you ended up, but my mind was drawn to, like, even the evolution of... Of the pastorate, so like mm-hmm. the Bible that we have tells the story of a brand new church, yeah. right? And so the the priest role um, was a family ordained role. You couldn't be a priest in the Jewish sect, at least in the early uh, in the Old Testament, because uh, you had to have been of the tribe of Levi mm-hmm. if you wanted to be a priest. And so anybody else outside of that tribe, that was a select tribe in a select group of people mm-hmm. that could that could be a priest to God. Whereas in the New Testament, um, Paul actually writes in in First Timothy chapter three, he says, if anyone aspires to the role of overseer, that's an honorable thing. And then he goes on to give a bunch of of what mm-hmm. that looks like, and then you touched on in First uh, Timothy five that uh, it's a it's a burden and it's something that uh, shouldn't be taken lightly. But to me, that that idea of even the calling of a pastor um, is something that that God has has placed a desire in somebody's heart to do this. It's not an easy mm-hmm. thing. It's not it's not something that's to be taken lightly. Um, but the people that step into that role, Paul says in in First Timothy three that that's an honorable thing that they would have a desire to do yeah. that. Um, so yeah, yeah I thought a, it was interesting. Charles Spurgeon um, says, uh, you know, when asking the question of like, you know, should should someone or should someone not go into uh, a ministry role, and he says, if you cannot mm-hmm. do it. Don't do it. Yeah, uh, it's like if you like, can do anything else. Yeah. don't do it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's very much uh, he he kind of places like the call of the ministry as like really high. That if um, if you're called to it, then then literally it's the only thing that you're drawn to. Um, but if you can do something else, go do something else. Yeah, like, like you're you're gonna you're gonna be better fit doing yeah. something else. Um, and that's you know that's that's true in my life. It's one of those things. Um, uh, ever since I was in eighth grade, I felt a call in the ministry. I don't know why. I remember going to Kevin, our, our youth pastor, and just saying, hey, I feel God's calling me to ministry. I was a punk kid. I'm sure he probably was like... <laughs> he was the kid in your youth group that like 
would be would eat the goldfish. Like if we were playing, games, <laughs> he would he would be the one that would come up and eat the goldfish. Yeah. Um, so I was just like punk kid, and I'm pretty sure, like hindsight, uh, you know, I go up to him and say, "Hey, I feel like God's calling me into ministry." I'm pretty sure he had the thought of. Okay. He just wants to play games sure, all day. Sure, yeah. sure. Um, and ever since then, you know, just felt that call. Like you know, n- nothing else. Like there's other things that like I've I've dabbled in, um, but but there's always been that call to ministry. And even being in ministry, if there's ever the thought of like you know, like like what else would I do if I if I didn't do this? And it's like. It's, it's almost like with uh, the disciples and Jesus when Jesus is like, are y'all going to go to? And they're like, where else are we going to go? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the thought that I always uh, have of like, you know, the thought of doing anything else in ministry. It's like, what else am I going to do? Like, like, this is what God has called me to. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So, so you're right. Yeah. Um, now it's like spread way open. And, and before we even get into the, the things, um, so in First Timothy 3, when it talks about you know, the qualifications mm-hmm. of leaders, you know, it's funny. Um, I think for the longest time, churches have hired pastors and leaders wrongly. Mm. Um, so they've hired pastors and leaders based on talent level mm. and not on character. Sure. Um, and if you look throughout those qualifications in First Timothy 3, he, you know, there's like 11 or so things that, that um, he lists. And uh, ten of those is about character. Mm. One of those is about talent. Yeah, he should have the ability to teach. <laughs> the, the, yeah, it's just this little bitty like phrase in the middle: uh, able yeah. to teach. Yeah, surrounded by um, their character. Yes. And these, yeah. And um, and what I find a lot of churches do is they lean really heavy into that. Can they teach really well? And they don't give any credence at all to what's their character like. Mm. And and I think that's where you find, you know, churches like those ones that hire, make bad hires yeah. on pastors because the guy might be able to teach well, but is not a great guy. Yeah. He's not a great leader. Yeah. Um, and so we actually hire everyone on staff except Pastor Lee was From members within. of the church yeah, that's cool. before they came on staff. And um, and I love that because we're, we know their character um, and... And uh, and we're able to make sure that their character is in place. Yeah. Um, where you know, whenever you do, you know, a couple of interviews, which ultimately kind of too, like that's equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Like you, yeah. you yeah. as an individual, I admire one specific trait that you have. You identify people's giftings and then work to basically work yourself out of a job and give them that job, right? Mm-hmm. But what, what that has resulted in is a lot... <laughs> yeah, Michael's yeah. laughing because yeah. I did that with Michael. I, I know, exactly. <laughs> you were in mine, Jacob was in mine, um, yeah. Roxanne was in mine. Um, but you're, you're identifying people's giftings and then raising them up and equipping them to do the work yeah. of ministry. So, so let's actually hop into that. We'll, yeah, we'll, okay, we'll, sure. we'll go, out of, sure. go out of track here because um, you probably got some stories to share on this one about me. Um, so, so we're going to hop, yeah. we're going to skip the first two and hop to the third one. Third yeah. one is uh, pastors and leaders are called to equip the flock. And this is from Ephesians 4. And it says, And he, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Um, so it's not the the pastor's job to go do right. ministry. Right. It's the pastor's job to equip yeah. the congregation yeah. to do ministry. So I should say that you've improved on this yeah, exactly. over, so, over time. Yes. Um, I, 
I have always wanted to be Chris. I have always wanted to be Chris. Chris was the best guitarist I had ever seen. He was the best drummer I'd ever seen. Uh, Chris Which blindfolded. Yeah. yeah, Chris blindfolded himself and played quads in front of our entire school and killed it. And the school went crazy. And I thought that's who I want to be in life. But the problem with Chris was Chris was significantly better than all of us at everything. And so if. And the reason that was is because he just didn't do things that he was bad at. Um, if he tried <laughs> something, I remember playing stuff. golf with Chris yeah. once, and by hole three, he was done, and he played the rest of the <laughs> holes with, with a putter. <laughs> Michael's experienced this. <laughs> because yeah, it was hole nine. We get to hole nine, and he goes, guys, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just he doesn't do things that he's not good at. But the problem <laughs> was um, he... He needed a drummer. He couldn't play drums and play guitar and lead worship all at the same time. So he needed a drummer when I was in ninth grade. And so um, he actually needed a drummer and a bass player. And so he gave me a call. And he said, hey, I need you to come to church. I just, want, I just want to see what you can do. And so he said, sit down on the drums and play something. And I played like the worst drum beat no, It was in the you world. and another James, friend of ours. Yeah, we were... We were at the church a few hours before service, yeah. and um, I was with both of y'all, and I said, okay, we need a drummer and a bassist. Which one of y'all want to do? Yeah. Which one? And right. you said drums. Yeah. And so we're like, okay. Yeah. Well, so so he taught me how to play drums. But, you know, that was great. He raised me up to play drums, but the problem was when it came to giving away authority, he could not do that. Mm-hmm. And so in two different worship bands, two different ones... We had decided that we were going to record an album to sell at all of our two, gigs. Two of them? You did it twice. I did? Yes. Okay, fin- finish. Uh, the third time. Uh, the third I'll time, defend myself okay. afterwards. The third time yeah. you allowed me to do yeah. it. But uh, we we recorded three different albums. Um, in the first one, uh, Chris allowed me to attempt to play... And then he uh, decided that wasn't good enough, so he played all the parts himself. Uh, and uh, and then our vocalist sang, and Chris didn't like that. So on the second album, Chris didn't even ask anybody. He re-recorded everybody's parts and the vocalist's parts. Which was awful, by the way. It yeah, was, he's not a, he, at it, the time it was wasn't a great vocalist. Um, but then on the third album, finally, finally, he allowed me to record my own drums uh, but even then it was like a ruler with an iron fist who if i got off beat at all we scrapped the whole recording and started completely over again yes um do you, do you have something to add to this michael i just want to know is that cd upstairs got andrew on that's it? the third one yes so oh, he's yeah, on it i played yeah. all the drums on that baby yes <clears throat> sir right. yeah. if you want a copy anybody watching this come find me i've got it we've got a ton of them a because Kubo. no one wanted them yeah nobody yeah. nobody wanted we played a lot of d we were a big d now circuit band and that was about it we opened well sort of we were gonna open for jars of clay and then at the last moment jars of clay backed out and so uh we just played a show without well they they backed out it wasn't their fault they backed out because the guy who organized the event breached a contract breached the contract and didn't pay them but my wife was very mad she was and to this day will not um listen to jars of clay Sorry. She was very mad. She like kind of went off on the. Oh yeah, the, we went full mama bear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. To my defense. Okay, there is no defense. Um, back then, I was I was what would probably be described as a bad boss, uh, a bad okay. leader, um, because I was such a micromanager mm-hmm. and I did not know I did not have the ability to hand things over to people. Yeah. Um, I was just such a control freak because in my mind I like. I knew exactly how I wanted it to look. Mm-hmm. 
and um, and I thought in my arrogance I knew best. So even when other people would play, you probably remember whenever we do our rehearsals, they were like awful because I would stop it every five seconds. You quit at one point because you were tired of running rehearsals. Like yeah. You quit playing. Well, because I, I just, I did not have that skill set to be able to allow people to do what what they thought was best. Um, and so I would stop it every 30 seconds. To be fair, I never listened to anything. <laughs> I just showed up and played. Yeah. But And so, so we would be playing and then we get into the chorus and people aren't doing what in my mind I think they should be doing. So we would just stop and say, no, no, you need to do this. You need to. So it would take forever to do any of these rehearsals and then by the end of it everyone's just mad yeah uh and then we've got to go lead worship and then we got to go lead worship <laughs> um and so it was just one of those things that uh, whenever i got into like full-time ministry that's when i really had to to develop that skill set of not micromanaging people but empowering people to do what they do and just just being a little bit like easier going on you know if, if things don't go the way that i think they should that doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong yeah uh it, it just um you know, it's more of like a collective thing. Yeah. And because I realized that when I started, you know, leading the, the worship here, I'm like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. If I do this every single Sunday, I won't have a team mm-hmm. and I'll just go home just miserable yeah. every single day. Uh, and so, so what actually I learned from that is that um, just because I envision something some way doesn't mean that that's the only way to do mm-hmm. it. And what I found is that whenever I did start to release things to other people, that not only um, did they do it well, but they, there was times that they actually did yeah. better than I could yeah. have done it. Yeah. Uh, Michael's a great example of that. Um, so, Michael, you remember when uh, I was doing the student ministry, and I hated games. I was... <laughs> I, I hated making games and stuff. I was just, I was that kid at, when we go youth camps, I would like sit to the side uh, during all the rec stuff. So I just wasn't a fan of it, but like, I felt like I was, I had to like control everything. And so I was up in the student ministry, just grinding my teeth, like making these games. It was just like half, half done. And, and it, I think everyone could tell that this wasn't fun. <laughs> um, Michael though, your house at the time was like Dave and Buster's. Um, you go in, uh, you, you know, uh, like you would, do you still have that, um, that, no, uh, punch game? No, it's, um, it was the basketball, the basketball game. Oh, Papa shot? Yeah, he in his house, That's cool. in his living room, the, the, uh, basketball game, the air hockey table game. Cammy um, is a lot nicer than my wife, I think. Yeah. In that regard. And so you walk in and his house is like David, David Buster's. And so, <laughs> and so I'm like, why am I doing this? Um, and so, so I asked you, uh, if you were interested in taking over, uh, the games, and like instantly, it was much better. Yeah, it, it, like he, like Michael was able to do far more than I could ever do in that situation. Yeah, and you enjoyed it. Um, where like for me, it was like yeah, begrudgingly doing yeah. it. And um, I remember, so so it was shortly after that 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 me and Michael started doing the thing where oh, <laughs> Michael's Mike just <laughs> well, you gotta show them what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> Michael's mic just fell on the ground. Yeah, so I'll just hold it this way now. Yeah, there you go. Um, so it was relatively shortly after that that we started the transition where Michael mm-hmm. uh, started to, um, you know, came on as associate student minister and, and I started to work out of that, that position and him into that position. And I think it was the, I gave you the tribe games. No, no, not the tribe games. The, the initiation night. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first initiation. And I think I remember I talked yeah. to you the next week and, and talked about this. And, um, 
And you, Michael, had this super elaborate um, tribe initiation for all the upcoming sixth graders uh, into the student ministry. And it was just so out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Smoke alarms were potentially about to go off. Uh, we won't get into all the details. But, but man, he just went out of his way to, like, um, uh, make this the most fun was night and inviting 20, night. 2019? I think it was 2019. 2019. I yeah. stole a lot of what you did for my D now the next year. Or, no, yeah. for my summer camp the next year. Because yeah. 2020, we didn't do COVID. And so I did a Survivor Games summer camp because of... Your oh, yeah. sixth grade, yeah, yeah, it was survivor. Yeah. And so I remember um, watching that night unfold because I had nothing to do with this night. I turned it over pretty much completely to Michael. And I remember going home that night thinking, I think Michael's better at this than me. Um, <laughs> okay, so I think that's a, yeah. I think that's a big thing though, because I heard a guy say one time as a leadership principal, if somebody can do something eighty percent as well as you can do mm-hmm. it, you need to let them do it. Yeah. You want quality, right? Mm-hmm. If I can do something and it's significantly better than what you can do, okay, probably you need to practice more. Mm-hmm. But as a leader, if somebody can do something 80% as good as you can, you need to let them do that because mm-hmm. what it does is it it raises all ships. Mm-hmm. And then to me, what that also does is it allows a person to grow in an area of service. Like, I think it takes a certain... You have to be okay with Michael's better at this than yeah. me, and I think yeah, there's, that not there's a definitely lot of people, like a humility yeah. check that yeah. you have to be okay with in, right. in leadership. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but but I think if you can if you can get over yourself, um, and as a pastor, if you can equip the saints and be okay with, hey, they're better at this than I am. They're going to get the praise. They're going to get the exaltation or whatever. I think that's when even like what he says in 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 first. Timothy chapter five, where the the honor and and the double honor is due, is if I can step back and allow you to flourish, then I'm doing what I'm called mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, um, and so that's a, a huge role um, in in a good leader is not one that does everything. And, and I think sometimes, like especially smaller churches, that's what they look for. Yeah, in leaders, yeah. can you do everything yeah. and can you do it well? And just biblically speaking, that's not what you're looking for. You're not looking for can someone do everything well. Yeah. You're looking for um, do they have the ability yeah. to identify and train yeah. and equip people to Even go out in Exodus stuff? 18, so immediately coming out of uh, Egypt, uh, Moses is leading uh, thousands of people and thousands of people have problems. Like you talked about the one problem a day would be one day of every every. One problem a year would be one day every. I can't remember. Yeah. So if everyone complained about a problem once a year, right? On average, we would hear a complaint every single day. So that was what Moses was dealing with. And in Exodus 18, his father in law says, Hey, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. You literally can't. And so what you need to do is raise up 10 people who can raise up 10 people who can raise up 10 people. And then they handle issues so that it it works itself. And so even in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, God is outlining this. We're working as a team. The church is coordinating as a team um, with a leader. Yes, there's a leader and people are submitting to that leader's authority. But if there's, if you're, there's a quote that says, if, if you think you're a leader and there's nobody following you, you're just walking. And so, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, even in Exodus 18, that structure existed mm-hmm. of yeah. you need to hand things off and yeah. be able to equip people to do yeah. work. And so, so, yeah, it's not a new concept. Yeah. Um, you see all throughout the Bible, uh, even with Jesus and yeah. the disciples, yeah. Um, yeah. The, there's a period 
in the disciples' training that Jesus did everything, mm-hmm. and the disciples yeah. just watched. But yeah. there was a moment, what, what was it, year two or year three? Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a book out right now called The Four Chairs of Discipleship that you should mm-hmm. read. Um, but basically, there's four phases. Jesus says, uh, come, and, uh, come and see. Um, come and I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, what's the third phase? Go... Uh, the fourth phase is go, go and tell, but I can't remember what it is. But yeah, basically over a three-year period, he, he shows them for a year, he equips them for a year, and then he sends them yeah. for a year. Yeah. And so even with Jesus, you would think if there's anyone who's equipped yeah. to do everything himself, right. it's Jesus. But right. even Jesus took the model of, um, uh, I'm not going to do everything, but I'm going to train right. up people yeah. to go yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're only one person, right? right? Um, right. Even Jesus in his humanity. Well, and even at, in Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Mm-hmm. I could do it. Mm-hmm. All authority has been given to me over heaven and earth. All authority. Mm-hmm. But you go, you make disciples, you teach, you baptize, mm-hmm. and I'll be with you. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what Jesus meant when he said... Um, when he's talking to the disciples and he said, you'll do greater works than I. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, my, you know, some people are shake their head at, or uh, scratch their head at that. It's like, you know, it's Jesus. Like you, you can't do better things than Jesus. But if he's talking about quantity. Sure. Well, now for yeah. sure. Because like, again, he, you know, equipped these, you know, dozen guys or so uh, minus, you know, one, one bad sheep. Uh, equipped these guys. And then what do we see happen in the 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 book of acts you know they mm-hmm. go out and then they 3, go out and in a day go, and yeah 5000 and, and 3, so now 000. there's this explosive growth um that you know let's say you know jesus in his ministry was able to to garner you know a couple hundred uh, people like close disciples um or not not close disciples but but people yeah. were following him uh greater works than that at least in in quantity you know you got 3000 yeah. 2000 and then just spreading out and all these churches are starting up and now here we are yeah you know um you know 2000 years later yeah. uh and it's worldwide and so very much like all of it's, you know, no, 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 that's to say they did that absent the work of Jesus mm-hmm. because Jesus is the one right. working through them. Right. And right. that, uh, but just to illustrate. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's very much, um, you know, having the mindset of we're all called to do ministry and it's the pastors and leaders job to help equip people to do that ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a mindset change, like especially, especially the bigger the church gets, the more people on staff um, me and Michael have talked about this. Um, it's much less us mm-hmm. on the ground yeah. doing all the work and more of us developing teams yeah. and equipping What does teams it look like go? for you when you say we're equipping the saints or we're equipping the members for the work of ministry? What is the work of ministry? What are they doing? Is mm-hmm. it just how to run a Sunday? Is it just uh, working in student ministry? What does it look like to equip the saints and stuff? Um, yeah, so uh, it's kind of multifaceted. Um, so the the most tangible thing of that is like the ministries of the church, like mm-hmm. the student ministry. We have um, you know our adult uh, leaders that are part of that 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 we're training them. So it's like so so the way that ours works is. Um, well, my, my, Michael, how, how about you explain the the structure of how you do student um, Wednesdays mm-hmm. and like with the groups and how that works between like you're leading them versus the adult leaders? Yeah, so we have it where we've got four. I think it's fourteen. I always miss someone. Fourteen to sixteen leaders up there, and what we do is we'll do like an intro to the topic, or the the way we're doing it now is we have one week where I speak to them, and then then they have a week where they break in their groups and they dive deeper into that topic, and so 
that's it. They're, it's the leaders doing it. And so we'll touch base once a week with the leaders and say, here's the curriculum. They look at it. And then you have any questions? And we discuss that. And then we kind of funnel anything like that to the leaders. And then, then the leaders go and portray that to the students. And I can't imagine keeping up with 70, 80 students and trying to teach mm-hmm. and build and connect those relationships. Whereas when you have all the leaders – I know all the students, but I don't have those deep connections. It's the leaders that do that. And so we have the connection with the leaders, and then the leaders take that connection and pass it down to the students, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how it works. And what we realized, um, or at least what I realized whenever we started um, doing those groups like that, is um, when it was just me, you know, I'd be able to, like, you know, touch base with, you know, however many students. But whenever we started really leaning into the adult leaders, um, taking on more significant responsibilities, there were times that students wouldn't come to me with problems. Mm. They would come to their yeah. leader with problems. Yeah. Uh, and that's like, uh, you have to have like a heart check there yeah. at that point because um, you can, it can go one of two ways. You can either be thrilled that um, for, for, Two reasons: one, that you're allowing um, leaders to take on that role and to do ministry, and two, um, you're having uh, students who, in that moment, maybe will fall through the cracks. But mm. now they have an opportunity. And but if you don't have the right heart, now yeah. you see that and you're like, "Wait, I'm I'm the student minister. Yeah. Why aren't you coming to me?" Right. Uh, and so it's just always having the heart check of, "We're not here for me. Yeah. Uh, we're we're here to." Uh, that, that ministry might be done. So that's one example of, of how internally our teams mm-hmm. are, are being equipped to do the work of ministry. Externally, it's a, you know more of like a discipleship training process mm-hmm. of how do you live your life, um, yeah. Yeah. like in your own personal life. Yeah. One of the things we tell people whenever you know they join here, um, they either come to our, our newcomers class or our members class, um, one of the things we communicate when we're talking about the Great Commission is we do a lot of missions here, mm. and we do lots of outreach, and, and we want you to be part of that. But more so than that, we want you to live this out in your mm. own personal life. Yeah. Um, and and that's like the mark of of really fulfilling equipping the saints for the work in ministry is not just do the internal ministries yeah. of the church work well, yeah. but are they being equipped to then take that out into yeah. the world yeah. individually? Right. Um, that's kind of the full, yeah. full circle yeah. uh, of what that would be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have any other thoughts on that? No, I mean, I think that, I think that if the church forgets to minister outside the walls, the church begins to die. The day that, that, that they stop doing, uh, evangelism is the day that they start dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can have the best internal programming and, and, and the best ways of reaching your own folks, but if you're not also equipping folks to go out and do missions. And so for even you watching this podcast, like it, you coming to First Azel is is great and, and you being equipped here, but one of the things you said in your sermon was this is a military base, not mm-hmm. a, uh, a circus. A circus. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I've never heard that. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I stole you're not, it from... I think it's Todd Wagner. Okay. I love it. I love it because what you're doing is you're not coming here to watch. I think a lot of times Americans as as consumers have been – blessed as consumers. We, mm-hmm. we have the choice. Uh, I can go to Panda Express and I've got 30 choices mm-hmm. at Panda Express. Panda and I can go to uh, Netflix and I can immediately watch hundreds of thousands of movies. And I can uh, switch over to Netflix and go to Hulu and do the same thing. And on my phone, I've got endless customizable options over and over and over. We're as consumers as Americans. Um, but 
if we come to church as a as a circus to be consumed, as as a program to be watched, and we're not coming to be equipped and filled and uh, and then sent, then we're the same as any other organization. And I think that's mm-hmm. such a huge thing to constantly be reminded that the commission we're called as Christians, not as pastors, as believers, is to go out and make disciples. As we go, we make disciples. If that's mm-hmm. at work, make disciples. If that's at school, make disciples. If that's in the nursing home, make disciples. Wherever that is, you're called to constantly be making disciples and pointing people back to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. The multiplying effect. Um yeah. All right. Well, let's keep going uh, just so that way we don't run out of time. Um, let, let, let's mix these two together. Okay. Um, the, these first two. So, so the first, so that one's called to equip the flock. Um, Shepherd and protect. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently I said protect at some point in the, the sermon. Uh, what's written down is... Um, called to watch over. So called to shepherd the flock and to watch over the flock. And I kind of break these down into two. Um, they, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Um, like on the shepherd side, we're under the chief shepherd um, trying to figure out, okay, where is God taking the church? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the job of pastors and leaders is to, to seek out where is God taking the church and then and then execute it. Uh, on the watch over side, it's more of like the protection side and the there's external threats and even sheep's own mistakes mm-hmm. that, that take them away as jobs of uh, pastors and leaders to help watch over and sometimes to even correct and to guide back. Um, one of the things that, that I really leaned into in, in that both of these roles, there's a heaviness and a, and a weight of responsibility mm. on that. Yeah. Um, now, you being in ministry and um, seeing your family in ministry, but also seeing your dad in ministry and mm-hmm. growing up in ministry, can you speak to that weight? Yeah. Um, I can remember specific times where, like there's one memory that was early on in my life. We were still in Melissa, and I remember my dad getting a phone call at like 2 a.m., uh, and I remember it was raining outside, and it was it was early in the morning. I don't even know why I was aware of this, but he got called out to uh, like a car wreck and had to go uh, minister to a family who, I don't, a serious car wreck. I don't know if the person died or, or what the circumstance was, but he was called out at 2 a.m. I can remember that. And, I, and to me, that was, I was, that was the first time I was like, man, that's, that's crazy what his job is called to do. I think a lot of people look for a nine to five where at five o'clock you shut it off and you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's some healthiness to that, especially in ministry. Um, there are areas that I try to um, kind of control the ministry, but you you hit it on the head when you said that the, the church life, your friend life, and your family life are all the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that like your work life, for, for a typical, my wife works uh, as a uh, salesperson for a, a pilot training company. And so her work life, she's got a lot of coworkers that really she only interacts with at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our friends uh, and our church are all, you know, united. And so we we see our church friends a lot, and that's um, that's a big deal for us. We uh, Our social life is our church life. Mm-hmm. But for her, she at least has those two separations. Mm-hmm. For me, my coworkers are my church friends, are my uh, social life. And so, like, my daughter, which is – it's a blessing to me every time she says it, but we we do a Bible study every other Tuesday, um, and 
when it's Tuesday, her first question of the morning is, is today Bible study? <laughs> and if we say yes, she gets so excited because she's going to go see her friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a blessing, but it's also you've got to be very cautious mm-hmm. of, um, you know, is there too much? So back to did I see that in my life? I think my dad did a really good job of shielding us from the burdens of the pastorate. And so I think that there were a lot of times, I still don't really know a lot of the things that my dad faced. I was at a um, a conference that he was at recently, and we sat next to each other, and we were going through this uh, life story things, and there were, there were things in his life story that I had never even heard of, and I lived it, mm-hmm. but I had no clue that you know, this happened in his life or he felt this hardship or he had this burden or whatever um, because he did a good job of shielding us as a family from that. Um, in the same vein as as a pastor, um, I as a student pastor, I don't see it as much. I see the, the weight of teenagers a lot, um, anxiety, depression, suicidality. Um, but other than that, um, there's not a lot of death and dying that I encounter. Whereas my, our senior pastor... I've wanted him to track how many funerals he's done this year because I think it's upwards of 50 at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it seems like every week he's got two funerals. Um, and so to me, like the, the emotional weight of that causes you either to be overwhelmed or jaded. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to constantly check your own heart to see. Yeah, and, and the thing on the funerals, I was reading an article. It was actually bringing up um, – you know, the, the weird balance between, you know, a pastor's personal life and the church life. And they tallied up all the funerals that they had to do. And, and sometimes there's funerals that, you know, the pastors do that they didn't know them. Like they just got a call uh, and, and they're just called to, to pastor a family through a funeral. Other times it's, it's family me- or not family members, but church members. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. you know them. Right. And so he tallied up all the, the, um, the uh, funerals that they would do of church members and I can't remember what the number was, but but they held up that number and then also pointed out that that while a family member or a close friend, when when someone dies, they're able to be a a partaker of that mm. um, of that uh, grieving yeah. process and the funeral process, sure. where pastors are leading the process, yeah. and so they actually don't get afforded the opportunity to grieve. Sure. Um, in a in a traditional way because they're having to be the one yeah. s- to like actually pastor yeah. the family through I can this. remember my dad doing doing weddings and funerals and his personality um it wouldn't change like he was the same person but you could tell that he had kind of flipped a switch where if he's doing a funeral he's in funeral mode yeah. he's not in grieving mode he's yeah. not in um any sort of like what you would imagine, like a human emotional state. He's just, he's administrating this funeral. And so I can remember him doing like the funeral of my great grandmother who like spent a lot of her time raising him. And when it came to the funeral, he was in funeral mode. And then when the funeral was over, he allowed himself that opportunity to grieve. With my grandfather who died uh, in 2020, same thing. He was in funeral mode. When the funeral was over, he was able to grieve. And it's, it's a... It's an interesting thing that I don't think there's a lot of other professions that kind of, at least emotionally, have to deal with that mm-hmm. aspect of, of. Well, yeah, and, and you know, and going back to the thing of uh, the the work life, the church life, and the personal life are all interconnected. You know, in a normal job, if my wife gets a different job, um, 
you know, those other two elements of our life are intact. Yeah, um, right, like, right, it, like right. it's only the work that changes. If our work changes, the entire situation Man. changes. Yeah. And not yeah. only that, but our entire family's situation yeah. changes. Yeah. And so there's just, and, and so like, and in leading, uh, so I mentioned not only are all those mixed together, but now you have to be the leader of all of these things. So like in, in watching over the flock, we've all had to have um, uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. There, there's times that situations come up and they have to be addressed and we don't want to address them like, like. No, no pastor, no leader wants to go into a conversation where you have to um, admonish mm. someone else. It's not fun. Um, but our role calls us to. Yeah. Like, like, like that's, you know, we're, we're called to watch over the flock and to give an account, as Hebrews yeah. says. And if we're going to take that seriously, we can't just overlook things. Yeah. And so, so there's times, again, all these things interconnected, where we have to go and have those uncomfortable conversations with our friends. Yeah. And, and it just, it makes it that much more messy. And, and sometimes those conversations go well, and sometimes they don't go well. Yeah. And when they don't go well... Now that just throws like a kink into all this where, okay, because of my work life, I had to address this, right. but because of that, now it's affecting my social, social life. life and my church life with yeah. my kids. And and there's just, um, not, not, not mean to like complain about that, right. but it's just right. the reality of right. the situation and the, the heaviness of the situation that I think a lot of people don't fully get. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, there was a sweet, a sweet guy uh, in First Bonham. Uh, his name was Abel, and uh, every year at midnight on New Year's, he would call my dad. I just wanted to be the first one to wish you, you know, happy New. Year. We're all asleep, Abel, and he would call, wake us up. I, I just want to be the first one to wish you Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's, I've got kids waking up in four hours, Abel. Like, but sweet guy, but you no boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even even as a pastor, we're and that's not a complaint. It was a an anecdote of we're constantly reachable, yeah. Um, and so being able to set clear boundaries yeah. is a very difficult yeah. thing to do. Well, and that's something you know uh, I had to deal with in student ministry. Michael's having to deal with it now. You've probably had to deal with it. Is students don't know boundaries, yeah. man. They <laughs> they don't get it. Um, and so, uh, so in their mind, it's like, why can't I call you at three o'clock in the morning? Um, it's like, oh, is there an emergency? No, we're, we're just hanging out. Yeah. Um, it's a Friday night. Yeah. yeah. And so it's being able to set those boundaries and, uh, set that work-life balance, um, of, um, I need to be approachable and reachable because, you know, we're their pastor. Right. Um, but at the same time, I need some kind of balance so that way I can be it a leader and a minister to my family yeah. too. And that, that like, like I'm, I'm never going to sacrifice my family for the work of ministry and God doesn't call us to yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's finding that balance. Well, and even in first Timothy three, we already touched on this, but a characteristic of a qualified elder is someone who manages his household. Well, yeah. and if I'm allowing the church ministry to be more of a priority in my life than my family, then I'm already breaking the yeah, right. boundary. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And so, um, so all that say is that there's like a, a weight and a heaviness to it. 
Um, and I find it interesting in both these passages. So, so the first one that we looked at was First Peter five that talked about shepherding, and it says, "Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly." Mm. So, in that one, talking to leaders, there's this there's this warning of don't let it drift into compulsion. And then in Hebrews 13, it talks about watching over, obey and submit to your leaders uh, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy mm. and not with grief. So in two major passages about um, leadership in the church, both of them come with these warnings of there's going to be this great temptation mm. to allow it to move into a, a state of compulsion and yeah. grief. Yeah. Um, do everything you can to not allow it to move into there. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just finding that balance. Um what I see, what, uh, not not to quote Todd Wagner again, uh, but I heard him talk about uh, leadership in the church, and he said uh, that he told his church that if I'm not allowed to be a Christian, mm. then I don't want to be your pastor. Mm. And um, sometimes people will platform pastors so mm. much that they're not allowing them the just the ability to be a Christian and the ability to be a Christian is to have community mm. and to make mistakes yeah. and to be able to repent and confess yeah. those mistakes. Right. And sometimes um, churches put too much weight on a pastor and don't allow them to just be a Christian yeah. in the midst of that. Um, and so that's where I think a lot of pastors feel lonely and isolated mm. yeah. because they haven't been able to find community within their church right. because they're so busy being the leader sure. of the church. Yeah. Um, that's another good thing about all of us being hired from within is that we all have community mm. um, here, uh, You know, where if we're brought in from the outside, not only are you trying to be the leader of this church, but at the same time, you're also trying to find community. And that just gets weird and murky sometimes. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. Any other thoughts about that? No, I, I think it's good. I, I, I think. Okay, so how how do you support your pastor? Well, you got to pray for his family. Yeah. You got to mm-hmm. pray that um, that God will allow him the opportunity to rest. Mm-hmm. Um, don't complain. That's a that's a huge deal. Um, and, and again, I, I don't think we're seeing that. I think you said the same thing that you're, y'all aren't seeing that much. We don't see it much at my church. Um, but the the more that those complaints pile up, it becomes a personal thing. Is is this a personal attack against you yeah. and Jefferson? Is this a personal attack against me? Um, am I <laughs> with doing, Delilah? Yeah. I was like, what's Jefferson? <laughs> yeah, at first Jefferson. Oh, Delilah. Yeah. Um, it, it, and so being able to support your pastor, to encourage him, to pray for him uh, and his family, um, that's huge. I mean, it's huge help. Yeah. yeah. Got any thoughts, Michael? No, but I do have um, one of the guys that goes to the church here. It seems like here lately, anytime that uh, we may be going with anything in the student ministry or in my own personal life, he just comes through with the text. Mm. It says, man, I, I'm praying for you. I don't know what your week looks like. But I let you know that I'm praying for you and your family. Dude. And it it changes. And, I, like, last week, it almost brought me to tears because mm-hmm. I'm going, I needed that in that moment. Dude, I got that same text. Yeah. Uh, I, I almost know who you're talking about. Um, that's the whole, that text. Um, sorry, Michelle. Um, that text was the whole reason I did this sermon. Hmm. Um, so uh, if, if y'all don't know, um, my family's just been through a ton of stuff lately uh, with uh, sickness and, and health. And our, our one-year-old has been in a hospital dealing with different surgeries. Everything's fine. Nothing's on fire. Um, but uh, we were dealing with all that. I was just coming off of sickness. Um, my son was just going into sickness. Uh, we were tired. Um, I get into my car 
and start the car and the engine lights on, which we just fixed that car, like like paid $1,800 to have that car fixed and the engine light comes on. And I'm just like, can, can you just stop? Yeah. Can, can the world just stop right now? Um, throwing all this junk at us. And, um, and it was like within like 20 minutes of that, I, I got that text, probably, probably a very similar text. And it was a very similar thing. as like, I was like, normally, you know, when people like, you know, you know, give me, you know, appreciation or whatnot, you know, it's, it is what it is. And, uh, I'm not much of a words of affirmation guy. Um, my wife hates it. Um, but I'm not much of a words of affirmation guy, so it doesn't usually affect me one way or the other, but I got that text and I was like, dude, I needed this mm. in this moment. Um, and it actually, I had a whole nother sermon prepared, um, uh, and scrapped it and kind of just went at this angle. Um, because I'm sure all of us know working in ministry that, um, having a congregation that appreciates and supports you mm. is huge versus a congregation that's against you. Yeah. Um, it really affects how you do the job. Um, yeah. So glad you mentioned right. that because I forgot well, about that. Yeah. yeah, there's that. And then uh, a couple weeks back, me and Cammie were discussing some stuff that happened in student ministry, and we go in to fill in, Pastor, what's going on? And when we sit down with him, he can I guess he can see the defeat in my face. <laughs> and so he just stops and he goes, I want y'all to know what you're doing matters. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when he said that, Cammie left the whole meeting. I go, what would you think? She goes... Pastor fixed it all. That mm. one statement mm. fixed the mm. way I felt and how I was overwhelmed and all that mm. with it. So not only the congregation, but having yeah. a pastor that yeah. supports and and backs you as well is it's huge in the ministry. Yeah, so. yeah, yep. for sure. Um, yep. Again, our church here is usually pretty good about this. Um, we, we have been fortunate. I really was. Uh, I mentioned when I first came here. Uh, being kind of blown away at the the lack of like hostility coming from that mm. that previous church yeah. that there was so much of it, um, uh, and so so really fortunate. Um, yeah, there's issues as with anywhere, um, but yeah, if any of you out there watching and don't have a whole lot of experience in the ministry, there's a whole lot of back end <laughs> um, that you may not realize yeah. that goes on, yeah. and um, and. What any past, what what any good pastor leader is looking for is not blind submission, but just partnering together. Mm. Um, uh, I'm perfectly happy with anyone questioning anything that I do, um, as long as it's from a heart of I want to work at this together. Mm. Like, like I'm not coming against you, but I'm I'm coming to work with you, and I just don't think this is the right way to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts between both of y'all? No, it's good. Yeah, I really enjoyed the sermon. The sermon was actually very hard to write. Uh, it took me a lot longer to write the sermon than I than I normally take um, because there was just so much mm-hmm. that I wanted to communicate, uh, and I had to cut a lot, and it was still long. But yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, so that's the sermon. Uh, what are pastors and leaders called to do uh, in the church? Uh, biblically speaking, they're called to um, shepherd God's flock, to watch over the flock, and to equip the flock. And um, how can you partner with them in that? Uh, you can do so by praying for them, uh, by trusting them in their leadership and not complaining, and by uh, serving in ministry and allowing them to fulfill that role. 
All right. Well, that's uh, the uh, end of the sermon. Now we can quickly move into the bad doctrine of the week. And, and Michael, uh, if you got to head out, I know you had to meet someone. Uh, that's okay. Um, but it's time for the bad doctrine minutes. of the week. Got six minutes. Okay. Are you going to wrap it up in six minutes? We, we can we can to aim to do that. Uh, I'm going to yeah. timer. Just yeah. shut it down. Just no, shut it down. No exit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bad doctrine of the week. Let's go. It's the bad doctrine of the week. Okay. Bad Doctor of the Week, I got this one for y'all. Um, this is another one from my Facebook feed. Uh, I was scrolling, and there was this girl uh, that I know that, that made the comment, uh, made the post, the statement. I've got a husband. We're just not married yet. Hmm. <laughs> okay. I've got a husband. We're just not married yet. Does he know? Because that would be a big deal if she did. be a good question. Um uh, so let's unpack probably uh, read, yeah. read between the lines what she means by that. God has ordained some individual. Uh, sure. Well, no, no. Um, so, so she's dating the guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The other dating, I think what she means by that is we're not officially married, oh, but we're allowed to do whatever. But, we're going to well, be married, well, but, we're but, but, but we're married. Yeah. It's like, like, I don't need a paper. I don't need yeah. a ceremony. I don't need, um, any, um, you know, leadership oversight over this to tell me that I'm married or not. Mm. Um, so, so I've got a husband. We're just not married yet. Um, thoughts. Man, that's, I think that's a problem that a lot of people face, right? Like I, even the whole, you know, living together, not married versus should we not live together? If I'm engaged, if I'm, if we're, we're planning on being married, well, it would be cheaper us for us if we just live together and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. What does the Bible say? And honestly, like Genesis is where this is outlined. Mm-hmm. So in Genesis 1, God creates uh, male and female, and that's very good. He creates them. Don't really correct you, but that's Genesis 2. Uh, you're right, Genesis. No, Genesis 1. Is it 1? Yeah. Oh no, no, yeah, oh yeah, you're right. How okay. dare you? Yeah, so one it gets into it and then yeah, two it gets into the there. specifics. My yeah. bad. My bad. How dare you? I should I don't know if you've read your Bible. <laughs> I should have. But in Genesis one, God creates them male yes. and female. It's very good, and he gives them a purpose. So the purpose is to uh, be fruitful and multiply or and fill the earth and subdue it. So their mm-hmm. job is to be united together, um, and to multiply and then to take the chaos that was the world and subdue it into a better situation organization. So in, in chapter two, which is what you so quickly jumped to. I assume um, shouldn't have. Chapter two is what Christ references in Matthew something, 19, 18, 20, 17, something, somewhere around there, yeah. Um, 18, 18, no. And in, in chapter two, it says, and for this reason, man will be, uh, he will leave his father and mother, be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so it's only after leaving mom and dad and being united with your spouse, with one another, the two of you are united together, not with others, not with one another's, which is kind of the polyamory thing that is now kind of starting to mm-hmm. rear its head, but to one another, male and female, and then that is what makes them one flesh. So, do I have a husband without a ceremony? I don't know. Well, and to go even more into what Jesus said there, so he quotes that right, verse, and then right. he says, "What God has brought together, yeah, no, let nobody separate, let no one yeah. separate." Meaning that there there is a a moment that God brings the two together, and that's the whole point of the ceremony. Yeah, is you know um, you know a pastor uh, meets with them, officiates, and and the whole point isn't you know necessarily to like just jump through like 
right. Know, it's not uh, hoops logistics. To get through, right. This is a. It's uniting, more of like, yeah. hey, we're all coming together and seeing God in this moment unite these two right. together. Right. And right. so, if you don't have that, yeah, then I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which even like First Corinthians seven, uh, man, we could drag this on for a while. But First well, Corinthians got, seven, you got four minutes. I know now. that's why I'm trying yeah. to I'm trying to whittle it down. Oh, we got two minutes. First um, Corinthians seven, Paul talks about the idea of widows, like young widows being unmarried, and he says, okay, if you want to remain unmarried, that's fine. But if you can't, you need to get married quickly. This isn't something that you drag out. Like you need to go ahead and get married quickly, so that again you can be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Mm-hmm. Like the command comes from Genesis one, which is pre-fall, which happens if you didn't know in Genesis chapter three. It seems like <laughs> Genesis one to three is a little confusing for you. Though. I thought that was Revelation. Oh sure, okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, very much. So I remember having this thought when I was. In, in college, you know, it's like you're young, you want to buck the system, right, uh, right. You, you want to... I don't need the man to tell me what Yeah, to do. exactly. Like, like you you start to question all of like the uh, traditional um, things that are in place and, and, and instead of seeing, okay, like why is this tradition here? You say, this tradition is just man-made, it's not important, it's not biblical, we just remove it. So like, so you can just convince yourself to like, like, yeah, we're not married yet, but we're married in God's eyes. Right. Right. Or, or, you know, some form of that. Right. Or I'm going to marry her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you just kind of like jump hoops in your head as to why you don't have to go through these quote unquote official channels to do that. Not realizing that that's a, a pretty, uh, arrogant, impulsive, mm. uh, statement. Um, you know, it's the old, was it Aristotle? I can't remember. It was, it was someone that, you know, that, that gave the, the, um, the illustration of like two brothers come up and find a fence. Like they just brought our property and they find a fence in the middle of the property. And one brother wants to tear the fence down. And the other one is like, no, we should probably figure out why the fence is there before we tear it down. Then we can make a, make a judgment call. And it's kind of like looking in our lives. Um, you know, the Bible says, you know, find the ancient paths and walk mm. down them. And so there's some things in the world, in the church, in our lives that are, pointless to mm. be there. They're there because they're there yeah. and people have been doing it. And maybe some of those fences need to be taken down, but some fences are there for a reason. Mm. And and before you tear the fence down, maybe you should figure out why that fence was even sure. put up. Yeah. And so, so if we're talking about the, the idea of like marriage and a ceremony and like an official covenant uh, with a pastor coming before them, you could look at that fence mm. in between you and what you want and say, this fence is stupid. It's not there for any reason. Let's take it down. Or you can say, before we tear down this fence, let's figure out why it's there. Is there a biblical reason for this being here? Um, and then once you investigate why the fence is there, you may still come to the conclusion this fence needs to come down, but you may also find, okay, this fence is here for a reason yeah. and we should honor the fence. Yeah. Um, I see that w- with marriage. Um, you know, when I was younger, had a different view. The older I got, the more I was like, these mm. things are here for a reason. Yeah. They should be here. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry you don't have a husband. <laughs> whoever wrote this yeah. uh, if you're not married uh, if you haven't entered into a covenant union um, you have a boyfriend yeah yeah yeah. yeah. that's not to diminish the relationship and get married yeah. like it's great get married yeah yeah uh, marriage is great but currently you don't you don't have a husband yeah yeah you got anything to add to that Michael no if I had a d- 
you know, a penny for every time I heard the student tell me that they're married and they just mm. don't know it yet, or, or I'm gonna marry her. Oh man, I'd be on the Forbes list. <laughs> so they're like, I'm gonna you see that girl. I'm gonna marry yeah. her. It's like yeah. she doesn't even know your name, man. Right. Two yeah. two days later, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, uh, to be young and uh, all the hormones raging and all that stuff. Um, I'm glad that you get to get to uh, be the the forefront on that. Yeah. All right. Fun time. Thank Andrew. Thanks for coming Enjoy down. Enjoy it, man. Andrew Enjoy drove. It. How far it's like was an hour and a half. Yeah. Andrew <laughs> drove an hour and a half to be here. Um, and so let him know that you're thankful Appreciate. that you're here. Appreciate him um, as a leader in the church and just a guy who drove an hour and a half to be here. Uh, anyways, we're glad that y'all joined us here today. Um, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, all those things. Um, if you're still watching, you're, you're one of the few and faithful. And uh, we're glad that y'all joined us. But until next week, we'll see you later.